0: We're delighted to have David and Elaine with us from Canada. Big cheer. Oh, there you are. That, that's the only one you'll get. That's the only one. And for those of you who don't know, 39 years ago, Emmanuel was started by David and a small group of students. He was only six years old. He's a very early developer. But You know, we are here because of that vision David gave, that God gave to David, and he was able to share with others. So as we receive him, we receive him as a very, very important part of our story. There were a few years where we sort of lost contact, and then God restored that contact, and we receive him this morning with great joy. He's been a great support to us. So let's stand and let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Can you just stretch out a hand? He needs it. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Father, we want to thank you. That Elaine, come and join them. You, yeah, no, no, no. You're, you're right behind them. Okay. Father, we want to thank you for this dear couple. We want to thank you for the lives that they have impacted for Jesus down through the years. We want to thank you that we are here because he was obedient to the word you gave him. And we ask now, Father, that as David shares the word, he will have great freedom among us. And as David and Elaine just ministered to so many over these coming days, Lord, you will just bless them, that they will be blessed in as much as they are a blessing to others, and that we will rejoice together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Alan. You're always very gracious. (laughs) I just appreciate you more year by year. I especially appreciate it when Alan gives me such a glowing introduction when he's done about 99% of the work over the years. But thank you. There should be a scripture come up behind. I never actually... Oh, it's ahead as well. It's everywhere. Good. Now, I want to talk about Elijah this morning. And I'm sort of scrolling through 1 Kings chapter 18 19. Very long passage. So some parts of it are going to come up. I'm not going to take the time to read it. uh, Because I want to take the time to... Uh, say what I've got to say so if you I will allude to it as we go along if you can keep your eye on it. <clears throat> Elijah had always operated by the word of the Lord and you know in church when we lose the word of the Lord we're in big trouble because Revelation nineteen ten says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus means people who testify to jesus as their lord and savior and the spirit of prophecy the holy spirit is the this the holy spirit gives us uh, the ability not just to prophesy in the sense of standing up and giving uh, a message to a congregation in public but to be prophetic is to have the ability to hear the voice of god so when it says when the angel revealed to the Apostle John on Patmos the testimony of Jesus as a spirit of prophecy, what he was saying was that we are a prophetic people. Not just one or two, but all of us are prophetic people. We have the capacity to hear from God. And the devil will try to lie to you all the time. That's his mandate <clears throat> to tell you that you can't hear from God. And that puts you in a predicament because you're hearing from the devil, but you're not hearing from God. And the devil is speaking to each of us. I'm not magnifying his role, but he has a mandate to lie. And he is speaking to each of us all the time things that would undermine, you know, you can't do that. You're a failure. You're a has-been. You'll never be able to do that. And we just need to hear what God has to say to us. Of course, we hear it first through the reading of his word. Uh the disciplined, personal reading of his word day by day. But through that, God begins to speak to us. Some of you uh, are here, probably have just come uh, to university. This is your first term. It's a big deal. You're a little bit scared and all the rest of it. And I remember uh, quite a few years ago when I was an undergraduate, my first uh, few days at the University of Toronto, I was scared stiff. But in that place, I had a dramatic power encounter with the Holy Spirit. And that changed my life. And I began to hear the voice of God. And if you're a new student here this morning, uh, then I pray that this place would become uh, the place where God gives you a dramatic personal encounter with the Holy Spirit. And in this church, we never apologize for the Holy Spirit or for His work. He's always welcome here. It doesn't mean we're weird or flaky. There might be one or two that are. But, uh, we just want to be a people who hear from God, don't we? And, uh, so Elijah was a man who heard from God. He lived by the word of the Lord. And by the word of the Lord, as you read through chapter 18 of 1 Kings, there had been no rain in the land for three years, three and a half years, and then, uh, the word of the Lord came again at the end of that period that the drought was about to end. Now, through Elijah, God had been controlling the weather systems. It's always good to know in an era of climate change and all the things that people are saying about it, that God is in charge. God was controlling the weather. He still is. God was controlling uh, the weather. And because it was an agricultural economy... Through the word of the Lord, through Elijah, God was controlling the entire economy. Elijah was controlling the economy of Israel. Uh, And the reason that God brought that drought upon the nation was because of the wickedness, obviously, of Ahab and Jezebel. And so Elijah was in hiding. Uh, Every time the king sent out a group to arrest him, fire came down, and that was the end of them. But at the end of the three and a half year period, Elijah uh, was commanded by God to show himself to Ahab and that meeting takes place at the beginning of chapter 18 and at that time he sets up this confrontation on Mount Carmel between himself and 850 pagan prophets, demon-possessed pagan prophets. So 450 were prophets of Baal and 400 were prophets of Asherah and this story unfolds as one of the most vivid and powerful accounts in the whole Bible of the confrontation between good and evil and of course we know that in it God miraculously moved the prophets of Baal were slashing themselves and couldn't you know all morning they couldn't get uh, fire to come down to consume their offering and then Elijah goes and he he pours water out over his offering offering just to make it even more difficult. And God comes down with fire. And at the conclusion of that, he orders the slaughter of those 450 prophets of Baal. So it was an extraordinary event. Elijah had a lot of guts, to say the least, because, you know, uh, if uh, the fire hadn't come down on uh, the pagan sacrifice and the fire had not come down on Elijah's, you can be sure he would be left with 850 to 1 odds, and he would have been the one that died. So Elijah, following this, pronounces the end of the drought and the coming of the rain, and Ahab has to rush back into the city to avoid being caught in the deluge. So it looked like the battle was over. That was supposed to be The main item on the menu. And if you read the story, you'd think that would have been the end of it. But it wasn't. And the reason was that Jezebel operated in an extraordinary measure of demonic power. Her demonic power, she was a high-grade witch, and uh, that power was uh, so extraordinary that she is used as a model and her spirit is said to reappear in the book of Revelation twice in um, chapter 2 and chapter 17, I think, uh, as uh, a, a uh, kind of a principality that was ruling over a church and uh, a demonic force that was atta- is attacking the church as a whole. And so Jezebel... Uh, ...operated in a very high degree of power, and the fact that Elijah had done this miracle, and then had slaughtered the prophets, and so on, did not terrify her, it didn't stop her, it just infuriated her, and as a result, she ordered Elijah's execution. Now, at that point, we're at the beginning of chapter 19, you would expect the word of the Lord to come again to the prophet... But he didn't. And you can read up there that uh, Jezebel says, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then, there you go, he was afraid. Well, that's, that's odd, isn't it? I mean, Elijah, he's, he, he's the guy who was up there on the mountain... 850 to 1 odds. He didn't bat an eyelid. He taunted the prophets of Baal and Asherah. He, he didn't lose his cool. And yet, this one woman orders his execution and it says he was afraid and he ran for his life. The, if faith is the key to triumphing over fear, then fear is the greatest obstacle to our being able to hear the voice of God. And Elijah became so consumed by fear that he lost his biggest asset. His biggest asset wasn't, you know, the ability to call fire down. That was a pretty good one. But uh, his biggest asset was his ability to hear God's voice. And let me let you in a secret. It's your biggest asset too. If you can't hear the voice of God for your life, I don't mean strange voices speaking to you. I mean that inner witness of the Holy Spirit that comes to you and in one way or another says, yes, this is what you're supposed to do. And because your mind is filled with the Word of God, and by the way, prophecy, this is a slight digression, so stop the clock, Alan, for a moment. Um, Prophecy... Some people have the deluded idea that prophecy comes to people who've kind of emptied, emptied their head and they're sitting around like this and kazoom, you know, or kazam or something, this revelation comes to them. See, that's not true. The greatest prophetic vision in the whole Bible is the last 22 chapters. And in the 404 verses of the book of Revelation, there are over 500 allusions to the Old Testament. That's one... I'll have to consult a mathematician in a moment. But it's approximately 1.25... Do I pass? Probably. (laughs) Okay, we'll move on. It's approximately 1.25 illusions per verse. That's a lot, isn't it? Now, the greatest prophetic revelation in the Bible came to a man whose mind was filled with the Word of God, was so filled with the Word of God that the prophetic visions are filtered through 1.25 allusions per verse, and it's impossible to understand the book of Revelation without knowing the Old Testament. You'll never understand it by reading the latest events from the Middle East. you understand it by reading the Old Testament. And so, my advice to you in hearing the voice of God is read your Bible every day, that's the first thing to do but then expect God to speak to you and don't uh, look at how he's spoken to the person beside you or somebody else God treats you uniquely he will speak to you in the way that he wants to speak to you some people God speaks to in dreams it rarely happens to me though it did happen quite significantly recently Uh, some people it's through other means and he has an amazing way of confirming the prophetic in your life I I remember I was doing a young men's conference in Canada and at the very beginning of it they they were all in the, being young men they were all in the cafe stuffing their faces it's no good having a men's conference without food (laughs) Uh, and I walked in and there was this young man sitting there, I'd never seen him before And God spoke to me, and I just went over and said to him, how many people have told you you have a prophetic call in your life? And he looked straight at me immediately, and he said, four. And I said, five. Moved on. That was the easiest prophecy I ever gave. So God confirms. You know, you won't be left in your own. God will confirm. So... But if you fall into fear, and getting back to my point, if you fall back into fear, you'll just panic. And you won't be able to hear the voice of God, and then you'll start making dumb decisions. Now, I always counsel people if you're uh, having a panic attack, or an anxiety, or if you know, you're depressed or really down or everything's going wrong, that is not the time to make important decisions in your life. Just shelve them and wait until you come back to your sane mind. Because when you're full of fear, you can't hear God. And if it can happen to Elijah, it might be able to happen to you. See, you've got to think about, here's a man who was uh, fearless by my standard. I wouldn't have gone up in that mountain with 850 false pagan prophets ready to slice me up. Well, I mean, I guess if God told me to, I might have, but, you know, uh, it it wouldn't be something I chose, that's for sure. But Elijah did it without batting an eyelid. And yet, the very next day, he's so consumed with fear. And what I'm trying to find out uh, here is why So Elijah then flees to Beersheba. Now Beersheba was 120 miles from Mount Carmel, which is about as far away as he could get from Jezebel without leaving the nation. And there, in a very depressed state, he prays that God would take him. And in the mercy of God, although he doesn't hear the voice of God, uh... In the normal way, God sends an angel to speak literally to him so that he doesn't have any choice but to hear. And the angel appears, gives him food to eat, and commands him to go to Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. It was 250 more miles from Beersheba, and significantly, the journey took 40 days. Now, immediately, we've got Mount Sinai... In the number 40, this links Elijah with the 40 days that Moses spent on the same mountain back in Exodus chapter 24 and the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness. The wilderness, both in the original Exodus and, I don't get into this, but the book of Revelation is a portrayal of the second Exodus where the people of God come out of spiritual Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, the spiritual Red Sea. Uh, They enter into the wilderness where they're cared for and protected for a period of time that is symbolically linked to the time that Israel spent in the wilderness. And then they cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land, which is the New Jerusalem, which is why the seventh trumpet, the Ark of the Covenant, appears. And there's a mighty earthquake because it's spiritual Jericho there. There. You've had a one-minute seminar on understanding the book of Revelation. I spent two days with the thick heads of the uh, regions beyond, that's what this group's called, isn't it, down in London, including John and Becca. It took me eight hours to explain that to them. They finally got it, I think, but you're so smart, you got it in about 60 seconds. So the wilderness is the place of God's protection, and that's where God took Moses, and that's where God takes Elijah. Now, the story is about to show us that the wilderness, not Mount Carmel, turns out to be the place of the presence of God for Elijah, even as it was for Moses. And there on Mount Sinai, the word of the Lord came again for the first time in a while. It came to Elijah, verse 9, but it came as a question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, let me let you in on a, a little fact here. God knew what he was doing. He wasn't in uh, a deficit of information. But sometimes God will speak to you and ask you questions, not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he wants to draw out what's in your heart. Remember Jesus and that blind man was sitting at the side of the road and he's Jesus, son of David, Jesus, son of David. And they're all telling him to shut up. But Jesus calls for him and they bring him forward and Jesus looks at him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Well, what a dumb question. Jesus. The answer should be blindingly obvious. Ooh. The anointing was not on that. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's very unnerving to be heckled by the professor of mathematics for somebody that wasn't very good at it. (laughs) And so Jesus, in asking him that question, what do you want me to do for you? He was drawing out the response because the man had to say, Lord, I want to see. You don't just sit there. God wants to know and wants you to articulate what do you want of me? That's what prayer is about. So, when you go into the presence of God, learn to speak to God and be honest with Him. And so, God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, if Elijah had been honest, he would have confessed the truth. The fact is, he was there because he'd lost sight of God and was scared. But instead, he answered with this self-justifying, moaning complaint. Look at all I've done for you, God. Now I'm left alone and my enemies are trying to kill me. So through fear, he had lost track of the spiritual reality that had controlled his whole life. He'd forgotten what God had done in Mount Carmel. He'd forgotten what God had done before that when he was fed by the ravens. He'd forgotten what God had done that day he raised the widow's child from the dead. He'd forgotten all of that. He had allowed Jezebel to turn incredible victory into utter defeat. He had believed a lie. And that's when the trouble starts, in your life and in mine, when we believe a lie. Now, in Elijah's case, the lie came in when he heard Jezebel's threats. So, what was the lie? And this is what I think it was. Elijah was expecting victory to come through the manifestation of power on the mountain. When that didn't happen, he was lost. Why? Because Elijah's identity worked in strength, but not in weakness. Centuries later, another man discovered the truth that God's power is made perfect in only one place. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 are weakness. But Elijah hadn't got that. So he came to Mount Sinai. Verse 11. Now, Exodus chapter 33 tells us that God met Moses on Mount Sinai in the cleft of the rock. And I can't prove it, but I think the parallels are enough. I think he put Elijah in exactly the same place as Moses had stood 500 years before. And there were three manifestations of the power of God, just like there'd been 500 years before, earthquake and wind and fire. And then after those power manifestations, something very different happened, and instantly Elijah knew it. And I'm sure the same cloud appeared, the same glory passed by in the same place as happened with Moses. And just like Moses, Elijah covered his face because no one can see God and live. And then God came in a low whisper. The Hebrew phrase literally is a thin silence. That's why I call this message the thin silence of God. And in that moment, God asked Elijah the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? But he still hasn't learned because he gave God the same answer. He lists all the righteous things he's done and follows it up with a list of complaints, how his enemies seek his life, how he's utterly alone, and so on. Well, God's had enough. And he doesn't dignify Elijah's complaints with an answer. And he won't dignify your complaints with an answer either. Even my wife doesn't dignify my complaints with an answer. (laughs) Let alone God. (laughs) Instead, God replies with a list of commands. And there are three commands that are given. Number one, he's to go to Damascus and anoint Hazael king over Syria. Number two, He is to anoint Jehu king over Israel. And number three, he is to anoint Elisha as prophet in his place. Now, this is the ultimate point of the thin silence. Victory is going to come. But it will come in an unanticipated way. Now, stay with me. It will not come through displays of supernatural power. And it will not come through Elijah, who is the man of such power. The authority Elijah has is to be handed over to others. Ahab is going to be killed, but he'll be killed in battle by Hazael. Jezebel is going to be executed, but she'll be executed by Jehu. The prophetic ministry will be carried forward, but it will be carried forward in a new format by Elisha and the school of the prophets and 7,000 other people who contrary to Elijah's depressed moaning there were still 7000 other people who had not bowed the knee to Baal. Now interestingly the New Testament teaches us that Elijah is a forerunner or a type of John the Baptist. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John and if you are willing to accept it Matthew 11:14 he is the Elijah who is to come. But Elisha his name means God saves. He's a type, not of John the Baptist, but of the man whose name means Yahweh saves, Yeshua. So that is why Elisha is the one who multiplies the loaves to feed the people because he is a forerunner of the one who does the same thing to illustrate the truth that I am the bread of life. Elisha is the one who shows mercy to his enemies. He spares the soldiers who were led into the city and blinded. He heals Naaman, the Syrian general. Elijah was a one-man band who had to be reminded that there were other people who actually also had still were still serving the Lord. But Elisha was the one who released the anointing of God to everybody through his prophetic school. And his prophetic school is a type or forerunner of the body of Christ for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. See where I'm coming from? But listen to this, true victory ultimately comes in the place of human weakness. That's a great encouragement to a weak man like me. It wasn't at Mount Carmel when Elijah was at his strongest, but it was at Mount Sinai when Elijah was at his weakest that the purposes of God were released on the earth. Mount Carmel was amazing. And nobody believes in the power of the supernatural or desires it more than I do. But it turned out to be only a preliminary victory. See, Jesus understood this, even though His disciples didn't. Jesus performed miracles, which John's Gospel describes as signs. The signs are meant to The miracles are signs which are meant to point to his true identity. If you don't find Christ, the miracles amount to nothing. Ten got healed, only one came back and followed him. Most of the people who saw and were impressed by the miracles never got the point and walked away. See, Jesus knew that victory was not going to come through the power of the miracles. At Gethsemane... He could have called on his father for an extraordinary display of supernatural power in the sending of legions of angels, which would have obliterated the Roman troops that had come to arrest him off the face of the earth. He could have done it, but he didn't, because that would not have accomplished the purposes of God. Jesus knew that those purposes would be released through a man hanging. In utter humiliation and defeat on a Roman cross. But hanging on that cross, Jesus was controlling the course of all human history. Now, Elijah is a hero to me, and he should be to all of us. He stood for righteousness, his life was characterized by extraordinary displays of faith and faithfulness. And God can come, and he does come. In ways we expect and pray for. Miracles and healing and provision and promotion. And things going right in your life. And churches growing. People coming to Christ. And we should pray for all of those things. But those things are not the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith is the cross. And when the miracles don't happen. Or when God does move. But all the things we hope for as a result of it don't come to pass. What do we do then? I remember meeting uh, a couple in Toronto 30 years ago or so, (laughs) give or take these days. (laughs) decade one way or the other didn't make much difference. And uh, this lady related this extraordinary story. She had been, her parents had been a missionary in... uh, Indonesia or the Philippines I can't remember which I think it was Indonesia back in the 1940s I'm going to say and she developed uh, polio and obviously was this was before the vaccine uh, she was very very ill and she recu- re- recovered but she was partly crippled as a result and her parents uh, believed in divine healing And so they got on a boat, because there weren't planes. And they took their little girl back to the United States. And it was, this must have been about 1948, when there was an outbreak. Uh, There was a, that was the latter rain revival. And I believe in revival. I'll tell you what. I've had the privilege of living through three visitations of God. And before I die, I'm expecting another one. But in the midst of it, we have to learn to walk in the way of the cross, like I'm teaching right now. And so this uh, uh, all coincided with uh, the healing revival that took place in the late 40s and early 50s. And there was a very remarkable man who was the greatest example probably of that whole visitation of God. And his name was William Branham. He moved in... uh, the prophetic and the word of knowledge so powerfully that men I had the privilege of knowing her in Baxter said uh, if you walked into a room he could practically read the minds of everyone in it. And William Branham uh, had a big tent and could seat about 30,000 people. So this couple brought their little girl and they were going to all these meetings all over California. Then they went to some other place various other places and they eventually wound up in wherever it was, it was in, I think it was in Arizona, some where it was that Branham was. And in the middle of the meeting with 30,000 people there, William Branham said, "I'm in Indonesia." <laughs> he didn't hear that little tinkling that went with it. <laughs> and uh, he used but he did hear the rushing of the wind. When he heard the rushing of the wind, God started to move. And uh, he said, I'm in Indonesia, and there's a couple, and their little girl is very sick with polio. And I, and she recovers, but only partly. And now I see them, and they're getting on a boat, and they're coming all the way back to the United States. And they're desperate, and they go and he listed all these places where they'd been. And he said, and they're here tonight. Would you please come forward? That's a heck of a word of knowledge, isn't it? And they did. And yet, she wasn't healed. How do you figure that out? How do you figure God out? See, when miracles don't happen, or when God does move supernaturally all around you, but everything else that you hope for as a result, doesn't come to pass. It was exactly what happened to Elijah. The miracle happened on Mount Carmel, but it didn't have the result that he expected and was sure that he was going to have, and he didn't know what to do. And he lost heart. And so, when we struggle We mustn't lose heart because we refuse to believe the lie that without a constant manifestation of the supernatural, we have lost the presence of God. You don't have to have a constant manifestation of the supernatural or a constant string of miracles going on in your life or circumstances that are all turning out hunky-dory. That's when the enemy comes in and says you've lost it. That's when depression comes in. That's when defeat comes in. That's when we sink, isn't it? That's the moment where you have to prepare yourself for it in advance through reading the Scriptures and filling your mind with them that God is still with you no matter what the circumstances are. There's an Old Testament prophet, and he showed up, When the people were in total defeat. And he only had one prophetic word. And it was this. The Lord is with you. I think that hardly even counts as a prophecy. (laughs) He collected his commission and left. (laughs) Uh, But that prophetic word. The Lord is with you. Was all that the people needed. To take heart. And the situation changed. And when you're in trouble. And maybe you come here this morning. And you are in trouble. Maybe you come here this morning. You've suffered Mental health issues. Uh, I've suffered mental health issues. Like, why did I ever go into the ministry in the first place? <laughs> uh, but I've had seasons in my life when I've been very depressed. I had one awful day where I just thought, I can't even take the garbage out. And I felt, God said to me, just put one foot ahead of another. And somehow it turned around. It took me months to come out of that. So maybe you're here this morning and you're depressed. Or you're fearful, or you're suffering from anxiety, or you know, you've had things go wrong in your life, or things just haven't turned out the way, and and you're sitting there and you're thinking here this morning, Well, God has forsaken me. Don't believe that lie. He is with you. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are, he's with you. It doesn't matter what your feelings are. I'm not being unsympathetic because I understand those feelings. I've walked through them myself. But God is still with you. And somewhere, God has to encounter you, not... He has to get beyond the level of the emotions, down into the level of the spirit. And in that very deep place of the spirit, he yells life. I was in the state of Michigan about 10 or 12 years ago, and I found myself speaking over a couple... breaking the power of the curse of barrenness and I didn't know anything about them. They began to weep and all this story about miscarriage and losing a baby at full term. And I found myself on my hands and knees and it was very strange, but it happened, yelling into her womb with her husband there, life at the top of my voice. Life, 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 life. And nine months later, little Cooper was born. He's playing baseball now. Now listen, God needs to yell Into your spiritual womb. Life. And he is. You just need to hear him. And deep down in the level of your spirit. Which is deeper than. All the other things that are going on in your life. God will give you the strength to make it through. But we need to. To learn to listen for the whisper, we need to learn to seek the thin silence. And out of that, for you, justice for Elijah will come the release of the purpose of God in your life. And God did hear Elijah. Elijah had three complaints number one, the people have forsaken the covenant. Number two, they've killed the prophets. Number three, my life is over. God answered those complaints in reverse order. He told Elijah, who thought his life was over, his life work was not over. He had three men to anoint. Yes, they'd killed the prophets. That was complaint number two. But God told Elijah that through two of the men he anointed, he would destroy those who had killed the prophets. Complaint number one, the people had forsaken the covenant, but God told Elijah that through the third man he anointed, along with the 7,000 others, he would restore the covenant. Because God is faithful. He does release his purposes. It often just doesn't happen the way we expect it. God calls you and me, brothers and sisters, to walk in the way of the cross. But the good news is that the cross was followed by the resurrection. It is a constant theme of the Bible that God first, for whatever reason, and I think he has reasons, gives a dream. Then he appears to destroy the dream. And then he gives it back to you so that all the glory would go to him. And in the process, all the garbage would be burned out of our lives and we would be drawn closer in utter and total desperate dependence. So if you have a dream... And it appears to have died. Get ready for the resurrection. God did it with Abraham. God did it with Jacob. God did it with Moses. God did it with David. God did it with uh, Elijah. And God did it with Paul. And the greatest example is the cross and the resurrection itself. God will bring our visions to a place of death. Before he resurrects them. So that he alone gets the glory. So when things don't turn out. As you'd hoped. In life remember the lesson of Elijah. You can feel sorry for yourself and give up, or you can flee to the place of the presence of God and find him there in the thin silence. And then you can know that your resurrection is on the way. Let's stand together. Now I'm just going to lead you in a short prayer in a moment but before that I'd like you to bow your heads and ask the Holy Spirit because he speaks to us ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you now what he wants to speak out of this passage of the Bible Father, you know the hearts and the situations of every person in this room. I pray you'd speak into the darkness right now. I pray you'd break the power of defeat, despair, fear, and depression. I pray you'd take us deeper. Lord, I pray that you'd enable us to redefine some of the experiences that we've had in the light of your word. And I pray, Lord, for a glorious release of resurrection. As this service concludes, I invite you, if you would like someone to pray for you in relation to anything I've spoken this morning, there are folk who are designated to do that that will be up here at the front. Don't leave this morning. If you need someone to pray with you and for you, then come up to the front as the musicians come back up and lead us in a closing song. Hang around. And let Jesus meet you. Lord, thank you for whatever it is that you want to do in our lives. Whether it be in the next few minutes, the next few hours, the next few years. Lord, thank you for every young person that has come to this place to study. May your blessing be upon them. May this be a place of transformation and a time of transformation in their lives. Lord, uh, and thank you that you have not finished with any of this. You've only just begun. Amen.